This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. And I'm Howie Silberger. Welcome to the program on this Monday night. We are uh, we are live, which means you could call in. The number to call one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's the number to call in. Coming up after eight o'clock, we'll be joined by Mayor Weinstein. He's the chairman of the Canadian JDL. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in Toronto, and uh, he's he's one of the guys I want to talk to about the stuff going on. So we will be talking to him just after eight o'clock, which means that Sheldon Eric Freed, my long-suffering producer joins me now hello sheldon hi howie how are you doing today i am excellent how are you sir excellent just trying to recover it's been a it's been a long week but a very fast week in a way of the just for last festival Ah, that is true we are wrapping up the just for last festival tonight we've covered it for the last week or so and uh and we saw the last of the shows just uh, just yesterday and Sheldon has been filing these reports. And if you want to see them, you want to hear them, you want to check them out, you could do so by going to truetalkradio.com and clicking on that button. Well, it's in the menu bar, the button that says Just for Laughs 2019. So, Sheldon, what did you think overall of the, uh, of, the, of the festival? 37th annual Just for Laughs festival. Um, I would have to say very strong. Um, as I was saying to you on the air before, I think the biggest disappointments... Uh, that I had was the nasty show uh, and the ethnic show. Those were the two really disappointing shows. Those were the ones we actually got uh, media invites to. And usually those are the two shows that really open up the English portion of the Just for Last Festival, which both you and I had the honor to to attend. But when we walked out of there, the ethnic show was a lot like the nasty show. And the nasty show was nastier than the... But I just thought it was weak. Um, I just thought it was weak, and uh, but I'm sure next year will be much better. Well, I have to agree with you. The uh, I was very disappointed on both shows. Um, yeah. I uh, I walked out of the ethnic show, thinking, "Wow, that was really a lousy show." I yeah. mean, there was there was maybe one good comedian in all the comedians that played there. Uh, mm-hmm. It seemed like amateur hour, really. And then uh, the nasty show was even worse. Uh, I yeah, didn't. La- I, I, I don't I think, think I laughed also- once during the nasty show. Yeah. And I, I think the same thing as well. I, I really was very, I, I just, I guess when, when in Nasty Show, I think my favorite host had to be Bobby Slayton. Because Bobby Slayton. Oh, but he hasn't so, been here in years. Yeah, but he was really, that was when the Nasty Show was like really on top of their game. And Bobby himself was absolutely fantastic as a host. But Bobby hasn't been here in years. And yeah. since then, they've been struggling to, to maintain that level of, um, uh, of, of funniness. When it comes to that show. And the thing is, I find with the ethnic show, they, it really was very, it went close to the nasty show. And I, and really it should, it should have been where it should have been before in past years at the festival that, you know, dealing with ethnicity and the comics, you know, behind it, you know, Italian, Jewish people, Greek, you know, like that's what it was all about. And I think they tried to be maybe politically correct, and they really tried to make it very raunchy, and they tried to make it very... This is, in my opinion, of course, 
to make it very close to the to the nasty show, and they really didn't need to do it. Um, well, you know, you, I, you know, you could be nasty, and you don't have to yeah. be raunchy. Exactly. You, you could be very nasty, and you could be very, and you could, yeah. and you could, you could get two ethnic jokes, and you could talk about ethnicity and make it yeah. funny without having to be raunchy. You know, that's yeah. my problem with a lot of a lot of the just for last festival. Is that the comedians come on and they think they have to be dirty to be funny? Exactly. And yep. and and you don't have to be dirty to be funny. You can be funny without being dirty. Yeah. Uh, at mean, the galley. Take a look at people at, like Seinfeld. Seinfeld, yeah. I don't think ever did a dirty joke in his life. Well, it was innuendo. Yeah, it was innuendo, but it was it was fun. And the thing was, you didn't have to. You know, not every second or third word. You know, when you got to start, let's say, you know, part of my look, you know, doing these reports are trying to find clips of some of these performers that performed on stage now due to copyright things we're not allowed to show from that particular show that i attend to take a clip from that particular show we could do it well, prior only, to just only, for laughs in the background well you know it's only because we're lazy to ask permission right you, you <laughs> understand that yeah but still you know there's a lot of things well, if, you still have to go if, through but. if if we ask permission let, let me just explain this to the audience so they understand yep. if yep. If we have to just for last festival for permission to use um, to use the clips from the actual shows, uh, Sheldon would be sitting over a publicist sitting over his shoulder, and the publicist would say would be saying you can't use that clip. You could use this clip, but you can't use yeah. that clip, and you could use yeah. this clip. And send me the final report before you air it because I have to vet it and I have to uh, I have exactly. to sign off on it. It's really a pain in the butt. It's yeah. much easier to take a clip that's public domain and use a public domain clip than yeah. it is to, uh, to to actually take a clip from the festival. I, I mean, if I can, I'll obviously try to zero into past just for laughs that has been aired, you know, that has been aired and has been cleared to air and be able to to do it. And that's what I that's what I did with Muddy and, when. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes you find a yeah. clip. I mean, these guys do the same routine everywhere. So sometimes yeah. you find the same clip that he did on the show exactly. somewhere else, and you can actually yeah. play the clip from the show, but it's not from the show. And then there's other comedians when you try to find a clip that 99.9% you have to keep beeping them out. Yeah, of course. So it's like, you know, you, you know, it's nice maybe every once in a while, like a beep here, a beep there. But when you have to go beep, a beep, a beep, a, and, you know, after a while it can drive you nuts. And then the audience is not going to want to listen because it's like every single second, is you know, it's so it loses its interest, too. And the thing is, this goes back to where where you and I both said, you know, you don't have to be dirty to be funny. No, you don't. You know, I went to the Anthony Anderson Gala. And I had yeah. great. We had great seats, and um, and I sat there and I watched the comedians. I mean, there's a big teleprompter in the back, and I took a look at the teleprompter because I knew where the comedian was going with their act. And I looked at the comedian. And I listened to them, and some of them went off the teleprompter. So they started off following the teleprompter, and they kind of went veered off on their own, which is fine for me because usually that's funny. But in this case here, it really wasn't funny because they veered off into sex jokes again. And I'm like, why do you always have to rely on sex jokes? Why can't we get on to something else? Why can't we do something that's funny, funnier yep. than sex jokes? Yeah, okay, a sex joke will get you a cheap laugh, but it's not funny. I mean, yep. you know, and you go to see five, six shows, seven shows, and all they're talking about is this sex thing or that sex thing or yep. this sexual part yep. or that part of your body. It's not funny anymore. It stops being funny. Yeah. So, so why do you rely on that crutch? And it really is a crutch in comedy. It is beyond me. But uh, they feel they get some laughs. But uh, I don't find it very funny. And then when you when you take a look, like, you know, uh, Howie Mandel was really, really good. He was m most of the time was extremely clean, really good. Yeah, he made uh, one little joke having to do with a feminine product. 
but it was, you know, like very rarely was he like dirty, dirty, dirty. Look, there's, there's no problem. I have no problem with people being dirty, dirty, dirty. I'm not a prude. Yeah. Yeah. I have no yeah, problem no, with prudish stuff. I'm not prude. But but overkill. Yeah, overkill. Well, that's it. Exactly. Is the problem. It, the problem is it, it it's overkill. And then, you know, instead of it being funny, it's not going anywhere because you're, you're, you're kind of almost expecting them. They're going to say something, you know, inappropriate. And like, you know, there's so many good, great comedians out there that you know that they they could have absolutely fantastic acts really go on stage and really get the crowd going and it, and it's great and you know one thing too and i i don't know if this was your first gala that you went to this year or you've been to a gala last year i don't remember in the gala for people who've never been to a gala and might have only seen it on camera like cbc or ctv comedy or you know comedy central and and, and the cw in the states they have a person that comes in and they call it an animator. They want to get the, the crowds really going. So by the time the cameras do go on and they do show and they spin the audience and everything, yeah, and they the go warm up the guy. audience, the warm up. Every, guy. Yeah, it's a and you know what? That's a tough job to do. Well, every TV like, show has one, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Like if you ever go to any TV shows, I've been to tapings for the Price of Right, Prices Right, Match came in. They would always have an animator, you know, applause, really getting the the crowd going and everything like that. And we, and the Just for Laughs galas are the same thing. And they get this guy, and he's been he's been their animator at least a couple of years. And which one? Are, which that, one are you talking about? Because there are two guys. There was one guy who was dancing at the beginning, and then there was another guy that came out. Is it the same guy? Was that the same guy? It's the same guy. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's the same guy, and then he throws the shirts into the crowd. Right, goes, yeah, yeah, okay. How are you doing, Montreal? And and he, he first of all, he comes in, and he sits in about the middle row of Place des Arts, and he sits in with his black and gold shirt, and he seems like he's just one of the crowd. And then this year, they did the song uh, Money, Money by Billy Idol. So when the song played, he would start clapping his hands but sitting down, and then he would start getting up, into the audience and he would clap his hands and then he would start running down towards the stage and then he would start you know he's wearing like about a dozen shirts underneath his black and gold shirt starts throwing them into the audience clapping his hands getting the audience pumped up and this guy I, like this guy has so much adrenaline to be able to get that's a, probably one of the toughest jobs that you're ever going to have to really warm up the audience because that's what it is that's what it's all about you know, to get the audience warmed up, ready to go, ready to take in this comedy act. And the guy was absolutely fantastic. I love this guy. I don't know his name. Um, I met him very briefly at the bar on Saturday night. Very, very, very nice guy. Very quiet when you talk to him individually, as most comedians are. And then once he went, went up on stage and... But getting back to the to the gala, and, you know, there were, seat, there were also seat fillers. I don't know if you were ever a seat filler. I was a seat filler many years ago. And they would bring people up just to make sure that when the cameras do shine in the area near the stage to make sure all the seats are preoccupied. Right. So, you know, so that goes on. And then, you know, the, 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 uh, well, it's, the a, camera it's, a full it's a full TV production, really. Yeah. It's a, it's a big, big, look, big Anthony production. Anderson made him, he flubbed the line. They didn't redo it. I mean, yeah. it, was a, it was a total TV production. Uh, a few of them did the same thing, or they would, let's say, read off the teleprompter, or they would misread it, or, you know, whatever, or they would they would try to do something on stage, and they would flub it up, and they'll say, okay, take two, let's do this all over again. So, yeah, I, I'm sure that they, they, they're, the editors re are really going to have their, uh, they're, they're really going to really gonna have the work uh, cut out for them, that's for sure. But you know what, like, 
we were just talking about Anthony Anderson before, and I and I think also the the Anthony Anderson gala I think was the weaker of the galas that I went to. Well, it seems like the gala was only put together to put black comedians on on stage. I mean, that's yeah. pretty, pretty much what he said. He got up and said, "Hey, this is going to be the darkest gala you're ever going to see." Yeah, and it was pretty much just there to put black comedians on stage. Now, I have no problem with black comedians. I don't care. I don't care what color yeah. the comedian is. He'd be funny. I really don't care what color you are. Just be funny. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But but you know, he seemed to be hung up on this whole black thing, and uh, you know, he has a show called Blackish. I mean, he's hung up on the whole black thing. And, uh, and and to me, that's you know why why put race in, race into this thing? Why why yeah? It's not the ethnic show. Why put race into this? Exactly. It's supposed to be a fun evening. When he comes out and he says, he says there's gonna be the darkest uh, the darkest uh, gala you're ever gonna be at, meaning that there's gonna be more black comedians there than ever than anywhere else. I'm I'm wondering why would we want to highlight this? Who cares? And, and then I'm wondering how about, how about getting is, out there and telling me this is gonna be the funniest gala that you're ever gonna see? That, yeah. that that'll interest me. Black gala, I don't care. Funny gala, maybe a little more. Yeah, uh, that's what I would think. And I think that that was I think the weakest galas out of all of them that I've been to. I think the strongest gala was probably Howie Mandel. Jim Jeffries was a really 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 good gala. Uh, I really didn't know what to expect from him. And he, he was one of the he's one of the top uh, touring comedians in this past year, um, and he was absolutely flawless. I never seen him before, so I really did not know what to expect. And there were a couple of things like we, we went to the we went to the um, she the people yeah. And she, when it, when we went to she the people, I never seen sketch comedy up close. Isn't like, that amazing? Wasn't seen, that amazing? It was really it, well done. You know what? To, there's two things. You either really tank or you excel. There's no in-between because it, it really is. Sketch comedy is really comedy that, without a net because yeah, you're, you're doing it off the audience and you're doing it off different skits all the time. And it was very well written. I, I know you had one of the head writers on. Well, we had the creator of uh, Carly Heffernan. And you know what? It was absolutely flawless. They were amazing it didn't make a difference of male or female in the audience. They made everybody feel comfortable. They were so fast. They well, were. I they specifically were... asked Carly Heffernan, and she was the uh, she was a dark haired girl who was on the stage, the dark haired woman. Right. I asked Carly when she was on the show last week. I asked Carly. I asked her specifically. Tell me, as a male guy, I'm I'm going to see the show. So as a as a male, are you going to be standing up there preaching at me and and yelling at me and and make me feel bad about being a male? And she said, she absolutely not. She wanted you on stage. Yeah, she did. Yeah. And I, I was hoping you would have gone on stage. Well, they didn't invite me. What, what could I do? Because I, I, I would have taken pictures of that. I was sitting right behind Margaret Trudeau for that show. Oh, were you? Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so every time they made fun of Justin Trudeau or made fun of her, she was cracking up. And, um, <laughs> okay. Um, but they didn't invite me on stage. I, I figured they would because she said specifically she wanted to invite me on stage. Yeah. But uh, but that's fine. I mean, but I, I'm thinking that um, that you know the whole the whole sheet of people show was all about uh, woman girl power, woman power. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that means put down the men and bring up the woman. So <laughs> so I wasn't surprised that the uh, that the show itself was pretty much anti male. It didn't bother me all that much. No. Even though she told me it wasn't going to be. But I wasn't surprised that it was. Yeah, but again, it's comedy. So, like when, right. when you're comedy, you have you you know you you loosen the you loosen the purse strings a lot because it's basically, you know, comedy is about a lot of things, making fun of other people. So when you get the ethnic show, you get the nasty show. I mean, this is what comedy is. Comedy, you know, you 
you you stretch that line as much as you can possibly go and have fun doing it and but you know what these things about a lot of things being politically correct i think it's really hitting comedy extremely hard yeah i can't imagine it didn't look what happened with mike ward yeah uh, i mean he, he made fun of a public figure during a comedy show and that guy sued him and won yeah so uh yeah so i'm sure comedians are walking on eggshells i mean they don't know what they could say anymore in today's outrage society where everything is an outrage they don't know what to, they don't know what they could say anymore it's, it's you know it's it's scary. it's like the host the host of the nasty show uh one of the clips uh, that i took uh he was saying about uh that he came across a person at starbucks and the guy uh and the person that he came in contact with asked the host of the nasty show um where are you uh, are you korean and the guy said yes and he said well i fought in the korean war so the host said well me too so the guy's looking at him going Excuse me? You know, me too? Yeah. He says, no, that's my name. Me too. Right. Yeah. So I'm. So it was like, you know, again, me too. Like to watch what's happened as so many people, uh, you know, whose careers were ruined, whether or not they did it or they didn't do it. And it's like, you know, when you're in the comedy thing and you're going up and you're trying to do a, you're trying to do a comedy routine and it's almost like, Usually you would write it and you wouldn't even second guess it after you go up on stage, you do your spiel, get some laughs and you, and you, and you know, and you, and you finish with it. Now, could you imagine a comedian, Howie going to write their, their comedy act? And then they're saying, Hmm, let me see. Should I take that? And they have to keep second guessing because they're not sure. But that's what's happening what? today. Yeah. Every like, comedian I speak to, every comedian I speak to tells me the same story that they read yeah. it, they read it, they read a bit, and then they have to read the bit, and then they have to go over it and have to take on anything that they feel that somebody's going to be offended by. This all started, by the way, uh, with uh, Michael Richards. Yeah. When yeah. He, he was yeah. in a comedy club, he flipped out and he said some bad things to some people in the audience, and they, they, they derailed his career permanently. And, um, and after that happened, comedians started watching what they were seeing on stage. And then you had. Um, after Michael Richards, there was, uh, there, was, there was a couple of other incidents. Gilbert Gottfried, right after 9-11, got up and made a 9-11 choke, maybe a week later. Oh, boy. And uh, got booed off stage and, and, and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you get to a point where a comedian's saying, well, what can I do? What, what am I allowed to do? Mm-hmm. Um, the comedy stage was supposed to be uh, a free zone where you could say anything you want. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can't. And if you say anything you want, you're going to get roasted for it. And you know what a lot of comedians are starting to do now? They're basically trying to trying to be more comedic about their own life, about their lives of their friends, like someone very close to them without going, you know, over the line. And I guess in a way they're trying to be as conservative as possible because they're afraid if they start making fun of this particular religion, that particular uh, you know, background of that particular, they're afraid they're going to get sued. Yeah. So they pro- they they do a lot of stuff now. Like some some um, comedians that I've seen, they basically tell a story more about their family in a funny, humorous way without getting too personal about their own family situations. But they're keeping it very close to home. So this way, they don't run the risk of getting sued. And, and you. Know, and you shouldn't Go be ahead. able to sue somebody. You should not be able to sue somebody for something that happens in a comedy club. Yeah. When you walk into a comedy club, that's supposed to be, you know, anything goes. You shouldn't be insulted by a comedian yeah. who telling a joke in a comedy club. 
Like I always said, if anybody ever wanted to go to the comedy club, uh, club Howie, don't sit in the front row. Yeah, really. If you don't, if you don't want to be picked on, if you don't care and you you know, you want to go go with the flow, that's fine. But if you're in the front row, and I would say this to anybody, then don't go looking for a ticket in the front row, a seat in the front row, and don't think that the comedian comedian may or may not pick on you. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But if they see something. You talk to a partner, you talk to your friends during the act. The comedian will just feast on that because that's what they do. They take a moment. They try to make it funny. So if they see somebody, let's say, acting to a partner, if they're kissing a partner, if they're, you know, ordering a drink or their cell phone goes off, that's where the comedian will will, will focus on and will pick on that particular person. But of if course. you're in the back row, because, you know, you're in the front row, the lights are on the comedians and usually the first few rows of the front row, right? Like it won't Yeah, be, they can't see in the back. Yeah. They can't see in the back. So if you're in the back, you're safe. You're fine. There's no problem. And in most cases in the media anyway, we're not going to get tickets in the front row. We're going to get tickets in the back row. And the people that do pay for the seats and do want the luxury seats or the VIP seats will sit closer to the front, which is fine. So, you know, I'm fine. I'm sitting in the back back row back back row with my girlfriend. I was sitting with you during the during the uh yeah. the ethnic show and the nasty show. And and you know what? Like I, I would take a take a look at this and I would see people being picked on the front row and they go with it and it's fine. And now also uh, they made it a point this year. I don't remember if they did it last year and if they did, please correct me if I'm wrong. But they're now saying you can't heckle a comedian. I, I'd never seen that before at a comedy show. Yeah. And I and and you know what? That's one thing and that I agree with because sometimes the hecklers can get too much. Like they could really like I remember um, I think it was Jimmy Carr that was doing a show last year. And Jimmy Carr reacts extremely well to hecklers. And he's sharp like a pencil. He's sharp like a razor blade. And he'll, as soon as somebody heckles him, he'll right away zoom in for one line and the person will not even see it coming. But, you know, there, was, there were times over the last couple of years, and I'm glad they did it this year, that people, comedians would be heckled. Like, you know, but, you know, sometimes people, the heckling makes the show, too. It depends on the situation. Like, if it's a person that does it once here, once there, but it's timed properly, it's fine. But if a person's just doing it just to get attention and yeah. drawing the attention away from the comedian, the comedians will handle it. That I, that I don't worry about because they handle it probably all the time. But sometimes people can get, they could really overdo it and then it gets obnoxious. All right, we were talking about Gilbert Gottfried before. Uh, yep. So during a monologue at the Friars Club roast of Hugh Hefner three weeks after September 11th, mm -hmm. Godfrey joked that he had to, intended to catch a plane but couldn't get a direct flight because they said we had to stop at the Empire State Building first. Oh, boy. This was one of the first public examples of 9-11 humor. Audience members responded with hisses and cry too soon. Godfrey then abandoned his prepared remarks and launched into, um, into the aristocrat joke. You ever see the movie The Aristocrats? Oh, a long time ago. Yeah, so uh, he, he launched into that joke. He won back the audience that way. Um, then uh, in March 2011, Gottfried made a series of jokes on his Twitter account about the earthquake disaster in Japan. Now, that got him fired from Affleck because uh, Affleck, oh, okay. Affleck does 75% of his business in Japan. So he was the mm. duck mascot in Affleck, you know, the one who always went, Affleck! Yeah, 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 that's right. I remember that. So they fired him. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, like sometimes, I guess when it comes to a real na uh, national disaster, especially 9-11, 9-11, uh, 
is a very sore spot to a lot of people, even to this very day. Well, it's and a I, terror attack that killed over 3,000 people. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't I, know. I, I understand why it would be a sensitive topic. Yeah, exactly. Like if I was a comedian in that aspect, I, that I would, I would never touch a national disaster or, or something like 9-11. Cause that's just too, it's still, it'll be raw for many, many. I don't ever see it not ever becoming raw because like you said, over 3000 people lost their lives and just uh, put the whole the city, the nation, and the world in turmoil that reflected uh, that reflected our security aspects when we board a plane even today. Well, it really changed uh, the lifestyle of North Americans. Yeah, and see, I could never I li- see. I like, like to say I like to say that the uh, the terrorists won. In that case. Yeah, well, it, it completely redefined uh, uh, flights and uh, really scared a lot of people for a while to even take a plane. Yeah, especially going into 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 New York or Washington or or Boston, Los Angeles. Yeah, put a bunch of airlines into bankruptcy. Yeah, and it just um, you know it just single handedly like through through our lifetime has really affected all of our lives and has touched each and every one of our lives. And I was in the building a week before, just a week and, before, and I could tell you that every time that nine uh, eleven goes around, I just get shivers up my spine because I was. We were actually supposed to go that weekend. We actually were going to change it to that weekend, to that Monday. Right. And uh, well, then you could have been you, there a day before. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was in. I was in. You know, I was in those buildings, and it was really uh, just, you know, like I, when it happened, I couldn't believe it. And I remember I was at the station, and I know we're kind of uh, changing the subject from just for laughs, but I'll I'll just say this. But I remember when I was at CJD at the time, and when the first uh, first plane hit the building, it was about a quarter to or 10 to 9 or something like that. And the second one, when I was actually in the studio in Master Control because I was doing the Tommy show, and the second one hit the building, and I remember seeing people running around in public affairs in the back part of the the studio, and I, I, I just couldn't believe it. Like, I... I was absolutely shocked, and I remember my cousin was was working about two or three blocks away from where the attacks took place, and they had to vacate the building right away. And, uh, and thankfully, my cousin was okay, but his wife, who worked in Long Island, and my cousin working downtown, she couldn't reach him for like six hours. Yeah, because all the cell phones went down. Everything went down. Yeah, because the towers went down with the building, which affected 80% of the city, city's coverage. And he couldn't find it. Finally, he was able to get to a phone booth. But, of course, there was lineups for the phone booth, like almost a block away, because every knowing that the cell phones were affected, everybody was trying to call through, you know, was trying to go to, a, like, phone booths, try to find a phone booth, go try to find a phone booth. <laughs> now, do they even exist anymore? What's that? Do they even exist anymore? Now they don't. Now you don't even see it in, in, in subway or metro stations anymore. Yeah. Well, now that uh, we, we now have cell phone coverages now available on all on all cellular services now available in the metro where before you didn't. Right. So, um, but it was, it was really something that's always going to affect me. Uh, Look at nine 11. I was, uh, I was working at the suburban newspapers and uh, we were down in our sub subterranean uh, newsroom. <laughs> uh, you know, we had, uh, we had, uh, we had, um, IMAX. That's what we were working on. IMAX. Remember those big round IMAX? Oh yeah. Sure, sure, I do. So, so we're working on those IMAX, and uh, we didn't have a television, and we had spotty internet connection. And uh, this is a this is a newspaper, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, we had spotty internet it's connection. Paper. Okay. Yeah. And um, one of the uh, one of the paginators who was just in the next office over. I was in the bullpen, and they were in the next office over. Uh, one of the paginators yelled out, "Oh my God! A plane just hit the World Trade Center!" And we're like, "Really?" And we loaded up um, Internet Explorer, which was the web browser at the time. And we waited five minutes for Internet Explorer to load. And then after Internet Explorer loaded, we found out that the websites, like all the news websites, had crashed. We couldn't get onto anything to find any information. Wow. So one of my colleagues who was sitting there uh, said, look, I have an uncle who works uh, on Wall Street. Let me call him and see what's going on. So he called his uncle and uh, he was talking to his uncle. And his uncle said, hey, listen, um, I'd love to keep talking to you. Like he, he described the situation. He was looking out his window. He saw the uh, the World Trade Center and the, the the smoke billowing out of there. And he said, "Look, I'd love to describe the situation to you, but they're evacuating my building now. I gotta go." And uh, this was uh, this was kind of right at the beginning of cell phones. No one really had, you know, not too many people really had cell phones, right? Right. And the cell phone coverage in New York was dead anyway at at the point because the cell phone tower was on top of the World Trade Center. Exactly. Yeah. So um, so we we kind of pieced together the story over the course of the day and uh jim duff i don't know if you remember jim duff sure i worked with him jim Jim duff was my editor at the time and uh jim duff and i wrote and it probably published the first piece in canada uh linking the world trade center uh attack to osama bin laden okay because we came out at five o'clock the next morning we had this uh this out we had a two-page uh we co-wrote a two-page uh story about the um, but Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda attacking the World Trade Centers. So I think we might have been the first in Canada to link Osama bin Laden to uh, to to the World Trade Center bombings. Um, oh wow! Which I thought was kind of cool. Wow, that's yeah. quite that that's quite interesting. But you know, like uh, I was going to go now going back to the just for laughs part. Now it yeah, just goes that's, to show that's an you easy transition, isn't it? Yeah, what it, a segue. But you know what? At, at the same time, what do you do? Like as a comedian, like uh, you know, and each com- comedian will will have a different answer. Will never be the same answer. What? Uh, how? What do you do, or what goes through your mind when you're trying to write up a com? You know, a comedy clip, or or write write a comedy sketch of what you're planning to perform in front of your audience, and where? How far do you think you can go without you? you know, feeling that, A, you're not going to get a lawsuit on your hands or like God knows the sensitivity of people because people's feelings right now. And I agree with you, Howie, when it comes to a comedy stage, it should be a free zone. Yeah, it really should be a free zone. It should be expression, humor, laughter. And people like I don't care I, what your feelings are. Yeah. It yeah, doesn't matter exactly, to me. Like, I, I would say like a, a, basically my opening thing from the from the nasty show thing is. When you're going for the nasty show, leave your political convictions, leave your conservative things, whatever, leave everything at the door and just go there. And, you know, if you, you know, go there and be, and accept the raunchiness. Right. Of, so of so the, let's of, just let's just be honest here. Let's 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 not try to be politically correct. Because on this show, we're never politically correct. Right. Uh, if if you can't take a joke and you don't understand what a joke is. And you don't understand what comedy is, you should not be going to comedy shows. Period. Absolutely. If you get offended by everything, don't step into a comedy club. And especially the nasty the nasty show. Any show. Yeah. But especially because the nasty show you know. Like there's no 
there was nothing no about it. The nasty break, show Sheldon. There was nothing, not. nothing nasty about the nasty show this year. No, but, no. But don't step into any comedy show. The ethnic show was nastier than the nasty show. But don't yeah, step I, 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 I agree with that. I even said that too. I even said it was, it was much nastier. But don't step into any comedy show because a comedian is there to. To shock you, it's there to make you laugh, and the way to make you laugh is to shock you, to play with your uh, your emotions. So if yeah. you're a very sensitive person and you can't deal with it, don't deal with it. Don't go. Yeah. But people insist on going, and then they insist on on um, on putting their 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 morality and trying to force their morality onto the people who are there. Yeah. And that's completely wrong. And yeah, it's not right. And the thing is, you know. Just because you have one, uh, you know, one aspect doesn't mean everybody has to have the same feelings as you do. And the thing is, you know, it's basically a comedy. Going to a comedy show is like a release. It's like leave all your problems at home. Just go out, have fun. That's what I, that's my motto. You know, go like, out there. It's like people who listen to the show, Sheldon, who tell me that, um, that, you know, oh, Howie, how could you say that? That's so offensive. And I, and I stop and I say, well, if you didn't like it, you don't have to listen. You have a choice. <laughs> if you're offended by things I say, don't listen to the show. I mean, it's we a, live in a free it's country. It's quite it's simple. The same, it's, it's the same thing as commercial radio. If you don't like a song that's playing, if you don't like a talk show host, you have the you have the right to go to you know play around with your dial. Go to the next radio station. Turn off the radio. I, I, I will give you an example today. It happened today. Okay. I, I was um I was uh, I, I'm taking courses. Uh, I'm almost finished my uh, another university degree. All right, so, Howie. So we're sitting in class today, and the professor got up and he did something uh, to try to help the people who were there, and people got upset with him. So what he did was he went over. There was there's a uh, research paper we have to write for this uh, particular course. Mm-hmm. So he, he went over the steps of writing a research paper, and he took it really slow. It took him almost two hours, right? And he went over, you know, step by step, brain, from brainstorming to uh, to laying out your um, to laying out your brainstorm, how to lay it out properly so it's organized, how to organize it into paragraphs. How, you know, he went through each step, and this is how you write a research paper. Most students should say, "Oh my God, thank you so much!" Right now, I know what to now. I know what you're expecting me to do when I write my research paper for you. The research paper is due in two weeks or two and a half weeks, right? People mm-hmm. got upset. They were raising their hands. You know, we're paying for this course. You just wasted two hours of our time. And they went nuts. We're going to file a complaint against you. And I'm sitting there thinking, what a bunch of ungrateful idiots, okay? Um, so the, uh, the, the professor got up after he took a break. He got up after the break and he says, look, uh, I hear what you're saying. I'm never going to do this again. So your, your reaction today has ruined me doing this ever again for any other student. Now you sink or swim. You know, you don't like it. Okay, I, you know, you give me whatever you give me, and now I'm going to mark it the way I'm going to But I expect the format to be proper. But I'm not going to help you anymore. So you don't like it? Oh, well, whatever, right? So wow. basically, you know, three or four people ruined it for everybody in the future, right? Because <laughs> he's not going to do this again. Um, and so I'm they th- won. They won, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking... How ungrateful. The man spent his time and his expertise. The guy had three or three or four PhDs. I mean, the guy's very educated, right? right? And very knowledgeable in the topic. And he spent his time to try to get you to do your best so that you could have the best mark possible on your final paper. So he spent his time, because there's a final paper and a final essay you have to write for the final exam, right? Mm-hmm. And he spent his time, two hours of his life, 
to try to give you the tools that you need in order to do this, and you turn around and slap in the face like that. How rude, but this is what happens everywhere, Sheldon. You know, when a comedian gets up on stage, it takes them days, months sometimes to write that, to write that bit. Right? Seven mm-hmm. minutes to on stage, it doesn't look like much. But it takes months and months and months for them to come up with that bit, right? And right. then they have to practice it. And they try it out. And they go to different comedy clubs to try it out on different audiences. Then they alter it. They change the joke here. They change the joke there. They change their delivery. They try it again. They, they, and they keep going back and forth until they perfect it. And sometimes mm-hmm. it takes weeks and months to perfect a seven-minute skit, a seven-minute uh, set. And then, and then they come onto stage and then some idiot gets insulted by it and sues them. It just seems so ungrateful, right? You're going there to... It's an art. And you're going there to enjoy the art. Mm -hmm. Leave your politics at home. Let them say what they want. Be offended. Be... be, Laugh at it. And move on. It's a comedy show. It's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be offensive. It's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be everything. But come on. I mean, it's just so ridiculous, Sheldon. Just so ridiculous. Yeah, I think people have to change their ways. And I agree with you. If, If you really... If you're really going to be offended very easily to what comedians are going to say, may it be a race or may it be a political person or or anything else, then you know what? Stay home. Do everybody else a favor by not going. So at least the people that do go will appreciate it, will laugh, will, you know, forget about their problems that they have, you know, at work, at home or whatever, and just enjoy an hour, two hours, three hours of laughter, funny. You know, they say laughter is the best medicine. Go out, enjoy, have a great time. So, you Sheldon, know, like, since, uh, since we're on this topic, uh, you know, really, some things bother me, okay? And mm-hmm. and some things don't really bother me all that much, but some things really bother me, and this really bothers me. You know, we, we hit a nerve here because it bothers me because I hate to see people prepare something, deliver something for the good of everybody, and then get roasted for it. I mean, it just it just bothers me. Yeah, it bothers me, too, because you know what? It's uh, that's not, not... Comedy is exactly... Stress relaxation, and it's a getaway. It's uh, look, it's a getaway from the comedians too, because sometimes yeah, a of lot course. of things that bother the comedians, though, you know, a lot of stressful things, politicians or whatever, and they make a joke to get rid of their stresses. But in a way, they they get rid of what they have to say, but they do it in a comedic way. You know, Sheldon. So, Sheldon, I've been a public commentator for about half my life now, mm-hmm. a little over half my life. Mm-hmm. I comment on many different topics. In my various blogs, I have a new blog on uh, on um, Times of Israel now. Mm-hmm. So they have HowieSilberger.com, my blog, and blog on Time of Israel, Times of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and I comment on my two radio shows. I have this radio show and the other radio show, and I comment on my two radio shows. And, and you know me, I love a good argument, right? Mm-hmm. And I love when listeners re- or readers question my points, challenge my theories, scrutinize my conclusions. I love when they call me and argue with me. But you know what I've noticed lately, Sheldon? What's that? Most of the time, the comments have become personal attacks rather than attacks on ideas. See that I never agreed with. Uh, let me give you See, an ex- let me give you an example. Yeah. Let me give you an example just so that the audience understands what we're talking about. Okay. Gotcha. I I recently started the blog on Times of Israel, mm-hmm. and uh, I posted on Facebook that I was blogging there, and uh, a friend of mine who describes himself as progressive immediately immediately posted. I mean, it was less than a minute after I put up, "Hey, I got a new blog. Check it out." Right. He immediately put up a, a comment saying, holy cow, they accept people like you? 
Now, now that's quite insulting, Sheldon. I, I don't know. I don't very know. Insulting. That's very insulting. It's a good thing I don't take things personally, but that would be very insulting to somebody who's sensitive, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know what happens when a progressive activist says people like you. They're referring in general to what they consider Nazis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not long ago, a different progressive friend who used to be on this radio show uh, made it known that he considers me alt-right, which is another word for Nazi, because it doesn't agree with my political point of view. In his view, people like you, which, is, which would be me, have no right to express your opinion because people like me find it offensive. Sheldon, we're living in a we're living in a time where civil discourse and uh, has disappeared. We're attacking an idea is not enough. Today must inviscerate the enemy. You have to destroy them politically, personally, and in every way possible. Well, like it happened to you in a, in in the municipal by election. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing it is, it wasn't a by election; like, it was actually an election. And an and the thing election. is, what I what I never and this is the thing that turns me off with any any politics at all. And I don't care if you're conservative liberal republican or democrat i don't care i think the biggest problem is it's like debate the issues you know you could state your points whether or not you're which which side of the phrase you're on i i get upset and no matter who does it when somebody starts going into into your family into your personal stuff which has nothing to do with your with the with the political, well, they're just what's trying going to destroy on. you. That's all. Yeah, yeah, and I and that's one thing I just total. This is why I'm so fed up with politics, and this Sh- is why Sheldon. I have to I have to admit though, there there are some liberals, some liberals, not lefties, right? Not lefties, not progressives. There's some liberals that still debate ideas. They have been swallowed by this progressive cancer, but more and more, more and more, Sheldon, I'm finding the intolerance of other people's ideas yeah. attempts to destroy the person rather than the ideology rule the day. It, and the thing is, sad. whatever happened to say... It's very sad. Yeah, and exactly. And whatever happened to say, like, if somebody's conserved, the other person's liberal. Wh- what is so What is so difficult? Like, even if you don't agree with them, okay? And, and people disagree all the time. But to, to have a debate, a respectful, clear dial, uh, dialogue debate, not like, you're wrong or, you know... How were you raised up or, you know, right away dishing out, you know, dishing out mudslinging things like look, t- if, look. If, if you don't want to agree with somebody, you know, look, sometimes we agree. Sometimes we don't agree. And I'm saying this yeah. to, to a lot of people. But at least I respect for you what you say. You respect me for what I say. And, you know, when we agree. And like I said, you know, we, we had this this thing one time when Trump it gets lambasted in in the media. And why did Trump get lambasted in the media and why did Obama didn't? And what was the first thing I said? I said, you know what? If a, if a politician, no matter what party, whatever, does something wrong, then the journalist should ask him or her the tough questions regardless. They should not say, well, this person we're going to use as a target, but the other person we're going to just let them scave. Yeah. You know, and this is what I, this is why I said about, you know, Fair journalism, concrete journalism. And I know when you always would run a candidate debate, you get everybody at the same time, whether or not they're liberal, the conservative, yeah, or they're conservative. You yeah. would ask the tough you would ask the tough questions. You would listen to their answers. You may agree or not, but you would do it in a respectful tone. 
Look, and now people, when they're running campaigns, they don't do that anymore. Look, I just had a, I just had an argument this week, uh, just a couple of days ago, with Tommy Schnurmacher. Okay, we were talking about um, we were talking about the death penalty, and I said I support America starting restarting the death penalty, and he says I don't support it, right? And we and we we, we talked about it, uh, and I gave my statistics, and he gave his reasons why, and then we agreed at the end. Yeah, we just gonna have to agree to disagree on this one, you know, because that's the way civil debate works right that's the way mm-hmm. civil conversation works mm-hmm. so i don't hate tommy because he doesn't support what i said tommy doesn't hate me because i don't i didn't agree with him we just agreed to disagree we we we, we went through our arguments we we talked about it we discussed it we analyzed it what each other said we said okay fine uh you think that way i think this way we agree to disagree i mean why can't we do that more why can't life be like that yeah yeah, and I and, and and that's what I think the biggest problem is in, in what a lot of talk radio hosts too are this are the same thing. It's like it's well, 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 one second, one second. Talk radio hosts are told what they have to say. There's no more free yeah. will in talk radio. See, you that's know that, the biggest problem. You know that too. as well as I do. They're given yeah. a role to play. So they should they should be allowed not for owners to tell them what they should or should not say. So tell me tell me, when you were working in, in commercial radio and yep. now we're going to give away a little bit of secrets of commercial radio, okay? Because I know that this happens, and I've seen it happen. Uh, when you're working in commercial radio and you're a talk show host, you meet before the show with the program director. The program director, or brand director, as they call them now, mm-hmm. the brand director asks you, all right, what are you going to be talking about on today's show? Either you eat the day before or you meet that morning or that afternoon, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you going to be talking about on your next show? And then you go through your list of topics uh, for your next show. And then the brand director says, okay, what are you going to be saying about these topics? And, and you, you go through your list of arguments with the, t- with the brand director for your next show. This is what my intro is going to be. This is what I'm going to be talking about. This is how I'm going to say it. And this is what I'm going to say. Then the brand director says to you, hmm, well, we got to get someone who counters your opinion. And then he'll look at his roster of announcers and he'll say, uh, why don't we get this guy on? And you call this guy over and you say, hey, you, yeah. What do you think of this issue? And the guy says, well, I agree with him. He says, no, you don't. Now, you agree. now, now you're opposing him. So this is what you have to say. Go research the, op- the, opposition, uh, the opposition, the opposing point of view, and you're getting on the show to oppose him. And the other guy says, okay. And he gets on the show, and he plays the opposite point of view. And this happens all the time. In talk radio, that's all that happens. It's called sensational radio. And it's stupid. It is very stupid. Because you know what? It's, uh, if the brand director himself wants to do that then why doesn't he come on and debate the announcer or well, why, do, why there's so he... many people who disagree with each other so many yeah. people who don't agree with each other politically why can't you just find someone who generally doesn't agree and put that person on but when you tell somebody who says oh, i agree with them and you say no you're going to take the opposing point of view because i need i need a for and against i need a pro and a con uh, when you start doing that, no one sounds sincere. That's the whole thing. It sounds not only, fake. Not only that, besides it not sounding sincere, it's this. It's the same thing of let's say this person, let's say this lefty disagrees with this righty. Yeah. But the lefty who's disagreeing with the righty actually would agree with the righty. Well, that's but, what I'm saying. It's sincere. Yeah, and he has his friends saying that's not you know. Yeah. And let's say they meet with their fr- friends for a drink or they go for a bite to eat. Friends saying that's not how. That's not you. No, of course not. But uh, you know, like it's and it's so I artificial. Wa- like I want to keep my like, job, right? Yeah, like get somebody who's does generally disagree and is like that in real life. So, because so, also people at the same time, for the most part, people aren't stupid out there. They're going to realize that you know what, this is this is not right. This is not true. 
So let me tell you that uh, I've been doing this show for, what, 25, 26 years. I mean, it's been a long time, right? We've been doing this show mm-hmm. a very long time. Right. Uh, there has never been one instance where I've brought somebody onto the show and told them what to say. Never once in the entire run of the show have I ever brought anybody onto the show and said, I want you to take this point of view. Sheldon, you're on the show every week. Have I ever told you what stand no. to take on anything no. ever? No, no, no. You're, uh, no. Uh, exactly. People that are listening out there, the Howie's 100% right. He has never told, look, I was there sitting in for debates on candidate uh, debates. We had a liberal, we had a conservative, we had, uh, had an MVP. And I've never stacked he never, he never said, this is how you should answer it. He never said, I'm going to ask you this question. This is how you should answer it. No. He would just say, here's my, here's what here's I'm the question. Answer it the way yeah. you want to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then you would have follow-up questions if you want a clarification. That's it. Or, yeah, but that's normal. Um, and that's that's the way talk radio should be. And that's the way it's always been for me. Uh, yeah. Even with, uh, we used to have Itai on the show. When he was 13 years old, Itai used to, he came on the show. And he yeah. was on the show until he was about 23. So he was on the show for a good 10 years, a good decade. And um, at 23, he went to law school. He's too busy to be on the show now. Right. And he thinks I'm alt-right. Well, that's a different story. So, um, <laughs> I think he always thought you were wrong. I, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, so when when Itai used to come on, I didn't even want to know what his topic was. He never told me what his topic was. I would throw to Itai and say, "Okay, now we're going to our high school student and our uh, and our university student, whatever." Uh, Itai Azarad and Itai would come on and he would throw me a topic that I wouldn't even know what the topic was. That's how much I didn't tell him what to do. And everybody's like that on this show. I don't give instructions on, I want you to talk about this, I want you to talk about that, and I want you to take this viewpoint. I might well, say. That's what, always made, that's what always made internet radio a big favorite of mine because you know what? First of all, you're not regulated. Well, we, we weren't always on internet. We were, we were on AM for a long well, time. Well, we were on AM, but. For, still, for like 18 years. Yeah. yeah. But at, at the same time, there was never, you know, you, you pretty much had independent rating on your own show. Yeah, but uh, I was I was bound by the by the rules of the uh, of of the of the regulators. I mean, yeah. I couldn't say anything I wanted. Now I can say anything I want on the show. But yeah. uh, but back then, uh, when we were on AM, we couldn't say anything we wanted. We had to we had to follow the rules, and we did. Yeah, we did. We still and follow the rules. <laughs> we're, we're on the internet. We can do whatever we want. We still follow the rules. Yeah, because we want to make it a real you know as Mark as as uh, Mark David would say a wholesome. A wholesome show, yes, yeah. uh, with a lot with a lot of you know news, hard nosed stuff, and there might be some stuff controversial, which is you know affecting Israel, affecting people as a rule. I know you're going to be having uh, Mayor Weinstein on soon. From yeah, the he's JDF. coming up. He's coming up uh, just after so, eight o'clock. Yeah. So you know, like the thing that I love, always love about the show is the creativity, and the thing is, we go in pretty much whatever direction. We feel like going on, and it's. A very and I have to tell you, Sheldon. Sometimes the show starts, uh, and I started one way, and then it just veers off, and I go somewhere else, and uh, yeah. and, and and that's just the way it is. And you can't. And you know what? In ta- in commercial radio, you can't do that. Like commercial radio is always you follow this, you follow this, you follow this, and there's always rules, 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 rules. And the thing that's the thing that's great about it is that you could have two people that may not agree in every you know all the time but at least have the respect for the other person stating their their reasoning and saying yeah you have a point there i remember you know one one thing about talk radio that i've always loved about it howie to me is that i love to learn and i love to to see you know 
And I, and I never, ever profess that I know everything. I don't have this huge ego to bruise. And it's like sometimes you bring something up, and let's say you and I debate something, mm-hmm. and you say something and say, you know what, that's a really interesting, that's a really interesting theory. And, and it opens up my mind. Yeah, me too. And, and, and I like when it opens up my mind because, yeah, I have a thirst for knowledge, and you have a thirst for knowledge, and, and so, you know, and you know maybe we don't agree in every single thing, but you know, like I said, I don't you know, agree with anybody up, in every single thing. Yeah, you brought up an interesting point, and I would say that's a really interesting point. And you know, you you, you open up your mind so you'd be able to to you know get all encompass Sheldon, all of this. Sheldon, shit. you don't understand. You have to have an open mind to recognize yeah. that it's an interesting point. Yeah, exactly. And I and I think that's what it is for for talk radio announcers. Uh, you know, and and that's what it is for. For people that go on stage for just for laughs, you know, people have to open up their minds and saying, you know what, they're human beings. So you may not agree with them, but you know what, go out, have a good time, laugh. You yourself as an audience, keep your views at home, keep your pol- uh, your political views at home, escape, use it as an escapism, go out, have a good time. You're spending money on a show. Go out and have a good yeah, time. Seriously, go out with relax. a couple of friends, you know, open up, relax. You know, laugh, laugh it all up. You know, and 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 that's what that's what people should do. Well, Sheldon, that's uh, that's that's it for the Just for Last Festival for this year. Hopefully, we'll yeah. cover it again next year. We've been covering the Just for Last Festival for uh, well, I don't know, maybe twelve, thirteen years, more, maybe more yeah. than that. Um, and special thanks go out to everybody for the Just for Last for allowing allowing you to have the access for the celebrity interviews and allowing me to have access to the shows for me to furnish my entertainment reports. And the people that I have dealt with at Just for Laughs, they've been just absolutely fantastic people. Yeah, they're really nice people. I yeah, remember the people who were there I, before them. And, and I, really much look forward to, uh, I really look forward to, God willing, next year to be able to provide this coverage again and provide, uh, you know, and again, for people who have missed it, uh, please go to www.truedogradio.com. Go to the drop-down menu, Just for Laughs 2019. You'll see Howie Celebrity Interviews. You'll see My Entertainment Reports. And thanks very much to you, Howie. The people yeah, just for last are making me. an incredible festival. Wonderful. There's no reason to thank me. We're we're, we're both working hard to make this. Uh, yeah. To make the to do the coverage. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's just just been wonderful, and it's I have great to, tell you, to be I a saw, part of. I saw more shows this year than I've seen in the last ten years. I know, and we bumped in. Uh, I bumped into at least about four shows. Yeah, you actually, to... and actually, last night's Anthony Anderson Gala. <laughs> I was sitting in Q forty six forty eight, and I was sitting in S forty six forty eight, and I didn't see you. Yeah, you were a couple rows behind me. I was so funny. That was really, and I didn't see. Was... you. I was looking for you, and I didn't see. you. I was two rows behind you. That was so funny in the same section we... too. I didn't know if you were on the the odd number seating. I know I was sitting in the even number sitting were right we... at the aisle. Were you in the same row with the guy who was warming things up? Was that the no, role that you were in? No. The guy that was warming things up was sitting two rows in front of us, but to the center. I was sitting right on the right side, right next to uh, where you would walk down to go to the other seats, like where the steps were. Yeah, I was the right small, there. small steps. And uh, yeah, but the guy that warms up is usually right in, right he, he smack was, in the middle. He was a couple of, on the bottom row. He was a couple of rows in front of me. Yeah. And he's... He, he was he was probably more in front of you that was more diagonally in front of me. Yeah. Yesterday on Saturday night I was sitting right beside Mitch Melnick and his daughter. Oh, that's cool. And Bill Brownstein about uh four rows ahead on the on the uh, Michael Che gala. Yeah. So that was so that was a lot of fun. So you get the bump in the media, bumped it to our uh friend Dan Delmar uh oh, some a few some a few times during the uh during the uh, Yeah. Yeah. And uh but it was a lo- it was a lot of fun. Really uh, Really enjoyed it. We look forward to doing it next year, and 
And uh, yeah, it was it was a blast. And now I, I get to catch up on some much needed sleep. <laughs> All right, so you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna play Sheldon's uh, two wrap ups, uh, the Michael Che Gala wrap up, the Anthony Anderson wrap up right now. Perfect. Sheldon, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate my you pleasure. coming in an hour early to uh, to be on the show. Always uh, a pleasure, my friend. Uh, you know, normally you're on at eight o'clock, so I, I appreciate you coming in an hour early to do this. Thank you so my much. Pleasure. My pleasure. All right, we'll take a little break. You'll hear uh, Sheldon's wrap-ups when we come back. We'll be joined by um, by my friend, the JDL chairman of Canada, Mr. Mayor Weinstein. Right here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Welcome to the Howie Silberger Show Just for Laughs Festival Entertainment Report here on the True Talk Radio Network. I'm Sheldon Eric Freed, live from the funniest city and country in the entire world. You guessed it, Montreal, Canada. As the Just for Laughs Festival slowly starts to wind down for this year, I'm happy to provide to you my entertainment report on the Michael Che Gala at Plaza des Arts, Sal Wilfred Pelche. Saturday night's Michael Che a native of Lower Manhattan's comedy uses humor to identify humanity and the most controversial actions. Che is currently the co-anchor of Saturday Night Live's iconic Weekend Update segment, where he also happens to be the co-head writer for the show. Now here's Michael Che talking about between like and love, and if he indeed would amount to anything in this world here with yours truly, Sheldon Eric Freed, on the Howie Soberger Show, Just for Laughs, Entertainment Report on the True Talk Radio Network. I don't want to be in love anyway, man. I don't, I don't want to be in love. I'm a big fan of like, though. I'll take like over love any day. <laughs> Notice the difference? Obligation. If I like somebody, I get to like them till I don't like them no more, and then I can stop taking their calls as the way out is the end of it. If I love somebody, you love them forever, even if you don't like them no more. And there's nothing worse than being in love with somebody you can't stand, man. There's no exit strategy out of love. That's why if you watch the news, you'll see people kill loved ones all the time. Nobody ever kills people they like, though. Nobody, nobody's watching you sleep in your bedroom window because you seem pretty cool. <laughs> This is really cool to do, man, you know, because I was never really a good student in school. You know, I was always bad. I used to cut class a lot, you know. I had a teacher tell me in the seventh grade I'd never amount to nothing. And I never forgot that as long as I live. And I seen her recently, too, in a supermarket by herself buying, like, 40 cans of cat food. <laughs> and I stopped her, too. I was like, hey, Miss Conroy, remember you told me I'd never amount to nothing? And she was like, yes. And I looked her dead in the face, and I was like, lucky guess. <laughs> That was Michael Che discussing about like, love, and if he indeed would amount to anything in this world here on the Howie Soberger Show Just for Laughs Entertainment Report. My name is Sheldon Eric Freed. The New York Times describes Michael as having a reflective laid-back stage presence with jokes that draw as much from his city upbringing as from blunt, insightful points that bring the abstract into focus. Other people who performed at the Michael Che Gala included Jay Farrow, Fred Armisen, Pete Holmes, Sam Jay, Finn Taylor, Jessica Curson, Matt O'Brien, and Phil Hanley. 
Special thanks go out to once again to the Just for Last for providing me access to the Michael Che Gala. If you would like to find out more about the Just for Last festival, not only here in Montreal, but in other cities, please go to their website at www.hahaha.com. If you also missed any of Howie's celebrity interviews or any of my entertainment reports, simply go to our website at www.truetalkradio.com. Go to the drop-down menu and you will see Just for Laughs 2019 and there you will be able to hear all of Howie Silberger's celebrity interviews along with my entertainment reports. Until next time, I'm Sheldon Eric Free. Keep it right here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. This is the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1877-669-1292. And I'm Howie Soberger. Welcome to hour number two of the program right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Uh, a little while back... I wrote I wrote an op-ed piece. I wrote a blog piece, and uh, I did a I did I did a show or two on how I didn't think that the JDL had to come to Montreal. I didn't think we were at the point in Montreal where we needed the Jewish Defense League. And uh, and I'm I'm going to scale back now. I'm gonna I'm gonna back up on that because I think we're at the point in Canada where the entire country needs the Jewish Defense League. Uh, we've gotten to the point where where hatred of Jews has risen to 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 astronomical levels. Where, where Jews are being attacked at, at, at coffee shops and, uh, and, and all over the place, uh, I think it's time that, um, that the JDL had a, had a resurgence in, in this part of the country and had a resurgence right across the country. I know, I know they're, 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 they're active in Toronto and, and maybe, maybe in some of, the other, some of the other provinces, but I really think that, uh, that, that, that we've come to the point where the Jewish Defense League is needed. Uh, mayor Weinstein is the chairman of the Canadian Jewish Defense League. He joins me now. Hi, Mayor. How are you doing? I am excellent, thank you. How are you? Good. Oh, very good. Very good. I am. Um, uh, I've really come to that conclusion. I, I know. I know. I know. It was a couple of years ago when I said that I don't think we really need the JDL in, in Montreal. We didn't really have very many attacks on Jews, but now we're starting to see more and more attacks. I mean, I was a victim of two attacks, and now I see a, a kid was was attacked at a Tim Hortons just the other day. Uh, I see attacks in Toronto. I see attacks in Winnipeg. I, I, I think it's time that uh, that Jews started defending themselves, that Jews started really stepping up to the plate and saying, no more. We're, we're, we're not weak Jews. We're strong Jews, and we're going to stand up, and, and we're, and we're going to be there. Well, absolutely. Uh, that should be, but unfortunately we have, uh, you know, we're plagued with uh, weak leadership, and we have uh, leaderships that, that uh really telling the Jewish community to be as docile and quiet as possible. And well, that, that's always been the case, Mayor, though. Uh, it's always been the Zeistil attitude, uh, and, and Zeistil, keep quiet attitude. I mean, that's the ghetto mentality, and that came from Europe from you know, years ago. I remember when I was a kid, that was the mentality. If you keep quiet, they'll, they'll ignore us. They'll go away. But that doesn't really work, does it? No, it doesn't work at all. But, you know, I'll take it a step further. That, uh, you know, at one time... Jewish students on campus uh, would would be very outspoken and showed all kinds of backbone. And today, they are anything but. They're uh, they're not resilient, and they are scared. And 
Actually, maybe let me take that word back. Scared. Uh, there certainly is an element to that, but uh, but it all comes together because the leadership of uh, the Hillel groups and what have you on campus is predominantly from the establishment. And the same kind of docile attitude. Don't say anything. Don't worry about it. Don't blow it out of proportion. Uh, and it's not getting us anywhere. And if anything, you look what's going on on campuses. you got all kinds of anti-Israel groups that are moving up the ladder, uh, taking on leadership positions uh, on many, many campuses. The Canadian Student, Student Federation supports the BDF now. I mean, it's, it's not good. What we need is that a, a total change in leadership and some pride and backbone so that we do stand up and at the same time to forge uh, maybe partnerships on some uh, some programs with uh, with other groups that are friendly towards some of our ideals. I, I don't understand why the leadership is uh, is is not doing anything more proactive. Um, yeah, yeah, sure, they're building fortresses, they're turning all the synagogues into fortresses and all the Jewish institutions into fortresses with armed guards. But but aside from that, why are they doing anything more proactive to, to protect the Jewish community? And when I say protect, I mean, you know, martial arts courses should be mandatory in all elementary and high schools. Um, Jews should be taught to be proud. You know, don't take your keep off when, when, some, when some jackass tells you to take your keep off. Leave it on your head. Um, there was a kid in Montreal uh, yesterday. He was attacked. Uh, well, he wasn't attacked. Uh, there was a guy in the window at a Tim Hortons making death threats to him. And he was afraid to call the police. He didn't call the police. He called his father to walk him out of the store, but he didn't call the cops. And he, and, and he yeah, was no, afraid. I, I saw the video. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it on Facebook. And, and I saw the, uh, the anti-Semite making menacing uh, gestures to him. Yeah, and he, he refused to call the police. And if you read his rationale on why he didn't call the police... Uh, he says, look, he didn't want problems. He didn't want to cause the guy problems. He was worried about the guy more than himself. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, what kind of mentality is this? I invited him to come onto the show tonight, but we have a long history, me and this guy, and uh, we don't get along too well, so he didn't want to come onto the show. But um, but I was going to ask him that question. What kind of mentality is that? Like, Why wouldn't you? Why, why, would you, why would you care about this guy? Call the cops. Have the cops take care of it. That's what the police are there for, to protect and serve, right? Yeah, it almost reminds me of... Uh um, I remember I brought a, uh, in the 80s, I brought a JDL leader here to Toronto to speak to a group uh, at, at the University of Toronto, and he gave a little parable, it was kind of comical, and, and he said, you know, two Jews uh, in, uh, in in the Soviet Union taken for the firing squad, because uh, it was very anti-Semitic back then, they weren't letting Jews out and to support Israel, taken for the firing squad, he said, do you have anything uh, you want to say before we... Uh, before we shoot you, and one Jew starts uh, cursing out uh, the Soviet Union, the other Jew turns to him and says, what are you doing? You're going to make them more upset. Yeah. You're right. You know, it's, it's incredible. The guy sitting there at, uh, at a Tim Hortons, call the cops. Call the cops. Yeah, that's what, yeah, they're, that's what they're there for. The very least. And don't, be, and don't start thinking about, well, what if the police uh, take this guy aside? Well, that's what you want. Because he he made the menacing gestures to the Jewish guy because he saw the keep on his head. So it could be another Jew that this guy's going to go after. While you have an opportunity, call the police, 
and get something done. And if there was a JDL there of uh, some big, tough guys, you can call them. But uh, unfortunately, Rabbi uh, Popko uh, and Sija mobilized certain elements in the community in Montreal that uh, they said they don't want a JDL. But there you go. This is what you have. You know, where's Rabbi Popko? He's not doing anything. And he, and he won't do anything. Yeah. Uh, he actually, when we had um, when we had the Israel Apartheid Week here uh, last year, was it last year or a year and a, or two years ago, and right. two young guys got up and disrupted an Israeli apartheid event. It, it was a lecture talking about Israeli genocide on Palestinian children, and right. two young students walked in with Israeli flags chanting "Am Israel Chai," the people right. of Israel live. Uh, they were condemned by every Jewish organization in the city. Everybody yep. condemned them. Every Jewish organization yep. on campus, they were tripping over themselves to condemn them. Yep. And, and, and then Rabbi Popko came up to me, to me, because uh, I, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the most vocal pro-Jewish activist in the city. He came right. up to me and he says to me, if you want to send guys in to go disrupt those things, you come to see me first. You come talk to me first. <laughs> and I said to him, I had nothing to do with sending these guys. He says, yeah, I know it was you. And if you want to send guys in there, then you come speak to me first because, you know, if we ignore them, uh, only 50 people show up. If we if we make noise and we go and we disrupt them, 100 people show up. So I prefer 50 people there than 100 people. And I'm like, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> if if we disrupt them and we disrupt them enough, maybe they'll stop doing these events. Hmm. <sighs> well, you know, it would be nice if uh, Rabbi Koko would stop doing his uh, outreach with uh, certain elements in the Islamic community that we have information on. And would actually uh, go back to being the Rabbi Popko, who I knew when he was the rabbi of the Oshawa Synagogue. Back then, he had backbone. Yeah, but now he's part of Federation, and being part of Federation makes him what he is. Uh, yeah. And all the yeah. rabbis that are part of Federation, they're all scared. And, and this is the problem. You don't have any strong rabbis standing up and saying, you know, there's no fiery rabbis anymore. They're all, they're all American liberal imports that are scared to, to, to shake up the environment. You had the uh, Rabbinical Council of America just the other week that was condemning President Donald Trump because President Donald Trump was condemning anti-Semites who are in the Congress, like Ilhan Omar, Yeah, that uh, actually has the audacity to compare boycotting Israel to boycotting Nazi Germany. And the uh, Rabbinical Council of America, of whom the president is, uh, is from Toronto, Rabbi Corruptin. Yeah. And they uh, condemned President Donald Trump, who was the most friendly president in the history of the state of Israel, to the Jewish state. It's unbelievable, President uh, Donald Trump, what he has done for Israel and for rabbis, Orthodox rabbis, to you, condemn yeah. President Donald Trump is an abomination. They should be actually apologizing. I, I, I agree. It sends out the wrong message to the community, and it's a message of weakness and groveling at the feet of anti-Semites for acceptance. And we keep doing it and doing it and doing it. It drives me crazy. I, I um, we, just had a, we just had an incident here where there's a uh, kosher restaurant in Toronto that received a call from anti-Semites uh, threatening to shoot up the place full of uh, patrons. Oh, lovely. We had that. We have... Um, a member of parliament from the Liberal Party, Michael Levitt, that was having, he has his annual uh, uh, barbecue at Downsview Park, and one of the leaders of a BDS organization showed up on Sunday to uh, verbally harass him and film it. 
that's what's going on. They're becoming very bold. They're coming into the Jewish community. They're trying to intimidate Jews in the Jewish community. And what's the reaction from Sija? There is no reaction. Uh, you know, uh, earlier today I posted up um, I posted up uh, a, a clip of Al Sharpton. He was he was he was he had some press conference today to condemn the yep. president. And I, I posted up a clip of the press conference, and I said, "Why would anyone listen to this race baiter, this this anti-Jewish race baiter who is responsible for the Crown Heights riots, which killed a Jew, a young Jewish boy? Why would why would we care what this guy has to say? Why would anybody care what this guy has to say?" And I got I got three calls today from uh, different Jewish community leaders saying, "Oh, you can't post stuff like that." Right, right. And I'm like, why not? They're scared of their own uh, shadows, and they're not providing any leadership. We had more that happened today. We actually had the Supreme Court of Canada that yeah. ruled uh, regarding uh, wine from Judea and Samaria in Israel that uh, they wanted to be relabeled to say, well, something other than made in Israel. So what's and it, what's this, it was, s- uh, this was uh, spearheaded by Jews who support the BDS. That uh, were represented by another lawyer who's very active in the BDS uh, movement. But it was uh, Jews that were initiating uh, this uh, lawsuit. So, uh, so there you go. And I would point out also that uh, these so-called progressive Jewish organizations that are pro-BDS, the Canadian Jewish News actually allows them to publish articles in their paper. Yeah, but does anybody really read the Canadian Jewish News anymore since they started a, a paid subscription uh, version well, of it? Well, that's right, but that's not the point. The point is that they tried to really legitimize themselves and use that name that we are the Canadian Jewish News, therefore we're kosher for Canadian Jews, right. and they give a platform to uh, the BDS. It's very scary, but uh, it doesn't surprise me. Canadian Jewish News doesn't surprise me. After their uh, their bankruptcy and their resurgence with this, uh, with this editor, Yoni Goldstein, uh, all mm-hmm. they all they cared about was uh, publishing articles about uh, how Jews should be more pluralistic, how we should not uh, we should not love God, and how we should accept everybody into Judaism, and accept every devia- deviant behavior. All deviant behaviors are okay, and right. uh, and of course we have to be BDS. I mean, this is this is naturally right. how the Jewish community has to be. I mean, that's always right. that's all we've read in the Canadian Jewish News since they reopened. So yeah. it, it doesn't yeah. shock me that uh, that they give BDS a platform. It's not shocking at all. Well, yeah, when, when, when you understand how, how the new leadership took over the, uh, the paper, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's actually kind of scary when you think about it, because at, mm-hmm. one time, at one time they were the most read Jewish paper in Canada. Uh, I don't think that's the case anymore, but at one time they were the most read Jewish paper in Canada. And, uh, and for them to not represent, um, not represent the entire community, but only represent a little f- radical segment of lefty Jews, uh, it, it just seemed wrong. Me. You have some BDS leaders that are sharing their articles, sharing Canadian Jewish News articles, because it's supporting these people from the BDS. Right. Yeah. I, I, um, I, uh, I remember years ago, uh, I took out an ad in the Canadian Jewish News. We were having a march against anti-Jewism in, uh, in Canada. And right. we were marching from Concordia University uh, in downtown Montreal to uh, McGill University, to the Red Path Library at right. McGill University. The, um, the reason we were marching there was because, um, because the KKK was handing out the Klansman newspaper at the Red Path Library. So mm-hmm. we were actually marching to confront the KKK. So right. we, I took an ad out in the, uh, in the Canadian Jewish News, and I couldn't 
put into the ad that, you know, that we're marching from one place to the other place because we're going to meet the KKK. That wasn't something I could put into the ad because they wouldn't run it. So my original right. version of the ad, they didn't run. And then the second version of the ad, they didn't run. And then the third version of the ad, they finally ran it. And, and when they found out that, that uh, that's what the march was all about, we had a couple of Jewish politicians show up. When they found out that was what the march was all about, they condemned me from cover to cover in, in the paper. Yeah. It, was just, it was just one condemnation after another uh, because we went to confront Jew haters who yeah. were handing out a, a pamphlet that was anti, anti-Jew, anti-Black, anti-everything uh, at, a, at a university. And, and, and they right. hated me for that. Right. So nothing much has changed over the years. I mean, we're right. talking 25 years later and nothing's changed, Mayor. Well, there is something I think that has changed, and like back then, I would say that Caesar, uh, the Canadian or the Canadian Congress uh, Jewish leadership, they wanted to take credit for whatever, and they don't like anyone stepping on their toes. Okay, that was one thing. So that's one thing I could relate to a little bit. But on the issues, they seemed to be kind of, you know, they were there. They weren't backing this uh, progressive nonsense. Uh, that leads to the BDS today. No, that's what's going on now. Now there is a support. Uh, we're turning a blind eye to a resurging uh, BDS uh, support base in the Jewish community. And they actually add to that. So, so you're saying that the that the mainstream Jewish community, the uh, the um, the organized Jewish community, I'll put that into quotation marks. Uh, yeah. The organized Jewish community supports BDS. No, they don't. Uh, I wouldn't put it like that, but what they do when they they have their associations with certain groups and certain individuals, and in particular certain uh, Islamic organizations uh, as well that are involved with uh, providing platforms for people who uh, are extremely anti-Israel, and I would say anti-Semitic. So in is this some cases. is this a natural yeah, when, they, when they when they have these alliances and associations and. Uh, meetings and they're propping up these uh, <clears throat> people. Uh, they turn a blind eye to uh, to what is going on at these conferences where you got actual anti-Semites, and that festers in the community, and that that gives a sense of uh, legitimacy to these uh, anti-Israel BDS groups. Is this a because natural extension? Is this a natural? That? Is this a natural extension of the uh, interfaith dialogues that started uh, 15 years ago? Well, this is not dialogue. This is not interfaith dialogue. Uh, interfaith dialogue would be a totally different thing. This is not interfaith dialogue. When you're uh, ignoring what's going on, there's no acknowledgement. You know, when when we had maybe an interfaith dialogue, some kind of um, building bridges uh, between the Jewish community and Christian communities because of uh, the history of anti-Semitism there, uh, the Christian community, some of the leaders came out and were very uh, clear in denunciating uh, the history of anti-Semitism and acknowledging what it was and spelling it out. Uh, I haven't heard anything or read anything from any uh, Islamic leader to acknowledge the, uh, the anti-Semitism within their communities. I haven't read it. Now, if it's there, and I just... Uh, uh, and it's in black and white, and I just haven't seen it. You know, you could, and you know about it. You can send it to me, and I'd like to see which leaders are calling out who. But when I see that the major Islamic conferences 
that are going on, but they actually provide platforms for people who lead in the largest way. The main BDS organizations, the main organizations that we have people in these organizations that are praising even Hitler for what well. he did to Jews. Uh, when this goes on, and the platform is given, I'll give you an example, Hatim Bazim. He uh, comes here from the United States. He's the founder of uh, uh, American Muslims for Palestine, and they were exposed recently uh, for their vile anti-Semitism. He's, he's given a platform at uh, major Islamic conferences here in Toronto. So if uh, our Jewish leaders are meeting with the leaders who are putting together these conferences, and they don't say boo about who you're providing platforms for, that's bad. That is very, very bad. bad. It's, it's, uh, it's unacceptable. It's not, it's not bad. It's unacceptable. Why does the community allow this to happen? I mean, I'm sure there are people in the community who care. Why aren't they standing up and screaming? So we put out the information. I don't see any information coming up from CJA uh, regarding this. Okay, and but CJA's part know, of Federation. And, and you can't rely on Federation to do anything. Where's Benet Brith? Where's anybody else? And you know you know what? I don't get uh, a joy uh, speaking in a negative way about uh, these Jewish leaders and that. I don't, I don't want to. I want to be able to actually say Look, we got Shimon Fogel, and he's front and center, and he's addressing these issues, and he's uh, he's seeing to it that our community is uh, is living in peace and taken care of, and so on and so forth. It's a facade, what's going on, because this is what's going on. The Jewish students on campuses are being facing intimidation at a level unprecedented. Anti-Semitism is at a level unprecedented. In Canada, attacks on Jews, physical attacks are going on. I'm getting phone calls from people who have been attacked, whether they're accused, attacked on Shabbat by anti-Semites. What's Egypt doing about it? Who do they have? What do they have? You got a guy who's assisting with uh, security or tries to volunteer, Jeffrey Brown from the Bias, who would like the JDL locked up in jail. Yeah. who reaches out, who's kind of like a go-between to the uh, Islamic community. So if we expose what's going on at these conferences and who's coming in to speak and so on and so forth, he doesn't like that. And, and why? We're doing good work. This is important work. I, uh, I spoke one to... More thing about, one more thing about the Islamic conferences. Yeah. It gets glossed over a little bit. So you have our Jewish leaders that are meeting with the leaders of these conferences and everything's nice and friendly and they're all wearing great suits and all that and smiling with each other. Meanwhile, these conferences are going on where they're, putting a, where they're providing the platforms for the, the most wild leaders of the BDS that uh, want Israel totally wiped out and destroyed. And they say it in plain English. It's all, it's all there. Well, the Naturi Karta has also given a platform at these conferences. Promote their works, uh, and they go there, and they have booths there, and uh, people are taking pictures with them there. Uh, people from the Islamic community are taking pictures with them. The Turkish character there; these are our friends, and so on and so forth. The Turkish character is on record defending Hamas, uh, calling for the destruction of Israel, and and these are people. That they, well, you know, these are these are Jews. Well, you're you're Jewish. They're Jewish. What's the difference? Well, it's just it's, it's insane what's going on. So. But I'm not going to lecture the Islamic community how what the content should be of any 
of their Quran, of what they're te- learning, teaching, what their religion says, so on and so forth. I care about my community. Right. And I have the obligation to point out anti-Semitism in our community and let our community know who our leaders are unfortunately meeting with that actually sanitizes the anti-Semitism going out at these conferences and in the community then. So why, why do you think that the uh, Jewish leaders are, are aligning themselves with, with people who hate Jews? It, it seems awfully weird uh, when you think about the millions and millions of dollars that go into our organized Jewish community. It, it seems kind of weird that they would be aligning themselves with people that, uh, that hate the Jewish community. Why, why would they be doing I, this? I don't know why. I mean, I could speculate all kinds of things. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Is it uh, a federal government grant money that you get along and have some kind of facade of interfaith dialogue? I don't know. But, uh, but I, I certainly know the uh, uh, existential threats that uh, the state of Israel, the one little tiny Jewish state that we have in the world, faces, and, uh, and that they have campaigns against the BDS, and they take it seriously, and it's said that Jews throughout the world should take it seriously, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. So we're not supposed to turn a blind eye to those who are uh, helping the BDS. And that's what's going on with uh, groups like CJA. Unfortunately, it's very, it's very, very unfortunate because you're talking about millions of dollars of Jewish community money that is going to uh, that's going to our enemies, that's going to support our enemies. That's that's right. It sounds it's it's horrible. It doesn't sound horrible. It is horrible. And mm-hmm. I don't know how many uh, how many Jews in the community actually know where their federation dollars are going. I don't think they know. I don't think they know. I think if they did know, and they don't want to act on it, then that's a that's a serious tragedy and problem. I'm not too sure if they know. I'm not too sure if they're aware of the scope of anti-Semitism. They read it one day in the paper and they go, oh, smokes, there's an, there's a, an anti-Semitic attack. Oh, that's going on at university? That's, that happened on Bathurst Street? But, but they're never going like but, but to read that, Mayor. Isolated. But ma- Mayor, they're never going to read that because the Jewish community likes to hide it under the carpet. They, they like to... Oh, they, they don't want to panic the community, so they don't tell them anything. And it's certainly not going to be reported in the Canadian Jewish News the no. way that we would like it reported, if it would even be reported. I remember I remember a couple of years ago, I, I drove by a synagogue, just happened to drive by a synagogue that had a swastika daubed on the door. So I, uh, I called the local radio station, and I said, uh, I haven't heard this on the news. Uh, why haven't you reported the swastika daubed on the door of the, um, of the synagogue? I mean, I think it should be reported because people living near the synagogue should know that there was a swastika adopted on the door near the synagogue, and they should yep. be vigilant and they should be uh, they should be watching out their windows and, and and stop the next guy who comes with a sw- with a with a can of paint to paint the swastika. Yeah. Uh, and and the radio station says, "Well, we didn't know about it." So I said, "Oh, well, here it is." And I sent them a picture, and they they started running. It was the top story on the on the radio station. Um, and they asked me for a quote, so I gave them a quote. This, you know, this is my quote. You know, we have to stand vigilant against uh, Jew haters, and we have to protect our Jewish institutions. We should step up uh, security, and we should step up uh, uh, teaching our kids uh, martial arts. And you know, we have to protect our community. We this is unacceptable. Uh, I got a call from Sija, mm-hmm. not long after that started airing, and 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 the representative of Sija, the Montreal representative of Sija, who called me, who I happen to know very very well, says to me. Why did you do that? So I said, why did I do what? 
Well, why did you call the radio station and report the swastika? We knew it happened uh, at 7 o'clock in the morning. Why did you call the radio station at 8 o'clock in the morning and report it? I said, well, why wouldn't I? I mean, if I lived next to a synagogue that was dobbed with a swastika, I'd like to know that that synagogue was dobbed with a swastika. Because I'd like to be watching out my windows and, and aiming my security cameras to be able to catch the next idiot who comes to, 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 to desecrate my synagogue. So right. why wouldn't I do that? And the person says to me, because you're going to panic the community, and we don't want to panic the community. I said, what, do you think you think the community's all sitting with frayed nerves, that we're all going to be running around with our hands failing in the air because there was a swastika dabbed on the, on the synagogue? I said, maybe, maybe knowing that our synagogue was desecrated will prompt some Jews in the community to get up and actually do something about it. Maybe it'll piss them off enough that they'll get up and say, yep. what could I do to help? Yes. Uh, yes. It's so frustrating, Mayor. It's so frustrating. Hey, there's um, you know, the former uh, CEO of the Canadian Jewish Congress, Bernie Farber. I remember Bernie. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, when I was active in the 80s, yeah, uh, Bernie eventually came on the scene working with the Canadian Jewish Congress. The issue back then, I was active on the issue of Nazi war criminals, uh, uh, Nazi supporter uh, Ernst Zundel. Mm -hmm. uh, we're doing a lot of stuff about that. And Bernie Farber was just getting his feet wet a little bit on the issue. And, you know, we had to talk uh, a lot about the issues. It was, you know, we're pretty much on the same page in terms of... Uh, uh, tactics, you know, certainly the JDL was uh, a lot more in the streets doing things, but he was working on uh, his different levels, and I considered that uh, important. Then when I brought it back, the JDL, about uh, 10 years ago, he was still at the Canadian Jewish Congress, right. and uh, we would speak a lot. Then, uh, CJ folded, Bernie got into uh, politics, uh, uh, Canadian, Canadian Jewish Congress folded, uh, Bernie Farber got into politics, and CJ was born. Yeah, and uh, you know Bernie Farber wasn't successful running for a uh, uh, place uh, for the Liberal Party of Ontario at the time. He didn't win, and I don't know. I, I mean, I'm assuming he thought she's going to come back to uh, what became Seja and he can get the role, the uh, red carpet rolled up to him. So I don't know. I don't know really what happened. I can't even speculate what happened without really knowing what the facts are. Right. But uh, fast forward, he forms a group called the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, and supposed to be he's supposed to be concerned, quite concerned about uh, anti-Semitism and uh, from whatever direction it comes from, you know, anti-Semitism, whatever direction it comes from. Uh, you care about your people, so you stand up to that. Right. So he focuses on uh, what he considers to be the right wing. Okay. Okay, you know what? Uh, I get it. I buy it. You know, if that's where you think the the greater threat is, uh, Bernie, go right ahead. But I mean, he may, he labels almost uh, anyone he come up with uh, on what he calls the right wing as a Nazi or a neo-Nazi, or I mean, he's got terms Jewish Nazis even. So he starts uh, writing. I think about a month ago, about an individual that heads um, an organization called the uh, Canadian Nationalist Party. Now, I looked into uh, this party, and I looked into uh, the leader of that party, and he puts up some pretty vile stuff, and I would say anti-Semitic. And uh, there was even 
an RCMP investigation about this guy, about this clown. It's unbelievable. So uh, I don't think he's got much support. But uh, but anyways, I don't want to minimize that. Uh, I, I take the issue of anti-Semitism seriously. So, but Bernie Farber was taking it. Uh, he was writing a lot about uh, extensive uh, reports about uh, this Canadian Nationalist Party. I thought, you know, all right, all right, there you go. You know, and uh, I don't uh, disagree with you on this. Okay, so we just posted um, a few days ago that the leader of the um, of a major BDS organization that has been um, coming to the Jewish community, espousing anti-Semitism and going to parks and harassing people, and uh, uh, he actually led some kind of a BDS uh, protest in March uh, right in the heart of the Jewish community on Bathurst Street here in Toronto, and when they were at the Walk for Israel. It's vile. And he calls for the destruction of Israel, everything. Anyway, this guy, on his Twitter account, he actually retweets an anti-Semitic tweet from the head of the Canadian Nationalist Party. And not only does he retweet it, he likes it. He likes the tweet. So we sent this out. Where's the reaction from Bernie Farber on the BDS leader that is retweeting the head of Bernie would consider the Canadian Nationalist Party like a neo-Nazi group. Right. But where's Bernie Farber to call out the people from uh, this BDS organization? Complete silence. And where's Bernie's organization, the, the Canadian Anti-Hate uh, Network, to condemn this? Where are they? So like I said, they focus on, they got like this tunnel vision on the right. Uh, and if they... Uh, uh, you know, like I, like I said, he says there's Jewish Nazis now, and uh, it's just unbelievable in what direction or tangent he has gone in. But uh, if you're concerned about anti-Semitism, you will be calling out these BDS groups. Oh, and you, sure. won't, you won't be silent on it, and they're vile. And, I mean, I, I, I think Bernie even retweeted uh, from... Either uh, Ilhan Omar or received Tlaib, one of them, and he, he retweeted from uh, Linda Sarsour, even. Wow. So, you know, I don't know why, but I remember him with the Canadian Jewish Congress. He wouldn't do anything like that. But we got problems in our community. Big problems. We're talking with Mayor Weinstein. We He's the Canadian chairman of the Jewish Defense League. Um yeah, that's that's a huge problem when our leadership is uh, is is tactically supporting BDS. It's it's right. a major problem, uh, especially uh, especially since you know I have this argument all the time. People saying, "Well, BDS, I mean, they just want uh, equal rights for the Palestinians." And I say that's not what the point of the BDS movement is. I mean, right. Omar Bargodi, the 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 founder of the BDS movement, is clearly on video. It's on YouTube. You can find it on YouTube. I've posted the clip about a hundred times. I played it on this show about a million times. Where he says that no Palestinian, at least no sellout Palestinian, will ever accept a Jewish state within the within the borders of Palestine, and right. if you look at the borders of Palestine, the borders of Palestine are the borders of Israel. So, I mean, you can't be clearer than that, and that's the founder of the BDS movement. So I don't understand. Right. I just don't get it. How could you say I am pro BDS, but I also support the right for the state of Israel to exist? It doesn't matter. It doesn't right. make sense. It's, 
it's, right. it's oxymoronic. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the main reason why Israel, under any government, uh, left, right, or center, that has had power after the 67 war, that they have not uh, retreated from Judea and Samaria or the Golan Heights is because these are mountainous regions overlooking major Israeli population centers. And if they would fall into the hands of uh, Hamas um, or something like Hamas, they'd be firing down on uh, uh, cities. Uh, The Gaza Strip is a flat plain area that Israel believes it has the capabilities of defending itself. But if it was mountainous, overlooking uh, major cities, it would be, I mean, it's horrible what goes on from there now, but it would be uh, probably a hundred times worse uh, when you when you have a height advantage. But I'm awfully confused about the Gaza Strip to start with. Uh, here we had a, a situation where Israel removed every Jew in the Gaza Strip, alive and dead. They took everybody out. They took out yeah. graves. They relocated cemeteries. Yeah. They took yeah. everybody out. So here was yeah. the perfect opportunity for the uh, Palestinian, I use that term very loosely because they don't really exist, but the Palestinian yeah. leadership to create the state of Palestine. You have your own country. <laughs> Just go ahead and create the state. I mean, they left greenhouses. Uh, like Rich Jews from New York right. bought greenhouses and left greenhouses there and all the equipment. And what did they do? They burned it down and they're using it as a launching pad, and the world stays silent. And, and exactly. this, is, this is really what drives me crazy, that these Jews who stand up for BDS and these Jews who stand up and say Israel are the oppressors, I mean, never look at the reality. Just take a look at the real situation. What's going on on the ground? What's going on on the yeah. ground is you have a <coughs> land that Israel does not control that is right there, and it's used as a launching ground to attack Israel. Instead of being used as a ground to show that, hey, we could create a state and we can live in peace, and hey, like, let's make a Riviera here. It's just right. so mind boggling that the world doesn't see this. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, okay, so the world doesn't see it, but we but, want our Jewish leaders. But our Jewish leaders don't see it either. That's the, right. that's the thing. And if they right. do see it, they ignore it. And, and Right. That's what's mind-boggling about the whole thing. You know, the world, I expect the world exactly. to hate Jews. I mean, I don't expect the world to love Jews ever. They've never loved Jews, and I don't expect them to ever no. love Jews. So between you and me and everybody listening, I don't expect our neighbors to ever love us. I mean, look at Quebec. They just passed that anti-hijab law, which, which also included us, right? So I just right. went through four years of teacher's training in, in university. I suffered through four years of teacher's training, and I can't get a job. So, I mean, you know, they don't care about us. And that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. I'm never surprised about this. But mm-hmm. but what surprises me is that our Jewish leadership ignores it. And, that, and that's really right. what gets me. Right. Like like after this hijab law came out, the the Arabs living in Montreal uh, sued the government for discrimination. They lost, but they sued the government for discrimination. What did right. the Jewish community do? Nothing. Not a word. Total silence. So so a guy like me, who's a teacher with a keep on this head can't get a job, and the community doesn't even give a damn. And, and, mm-hmm. and our Jewish leadership just totally ignores it, which I, I don't get it. Mayor, maybe you, maybe you understand. You've been around longer than I have. Maybe you understand this. I don't understand it. Well, look, uh, we have, we're in a period of time called the, uh, the three weeks. You know, so uh, uh, pretty soon it's going to be uh, Tisha B'Av. And, and what we do what this whole period of time is, uh, we remember uh, when 
the Romans breached the walls of Jerusalem, and then uh, slowly but surely, uh, three weeks later, really encroached right in and uh, destroyed our temple. And that's what we remember on Tisha B'Av, and that's coming up very soon. So, uh, with that said, uh, the Jewish community ideally should be preparing itself for that and commemorating and understanding what the meaning of it is and what our goals should be, and that uh, it, it's time for the rebuilding of, uh, of Israel and Jerusalem and strengthening in every single capacity. Uh, the leadership is weak in diaspora, for sure here in Canada, in Toronto and Montreal. Uh, we see it going on. We see uh, uh, massive assimilation in our communities where Judaism is not respected the way it once was. And, however, the state of Israel, the Jewish state, is getting stronger and more prosperous and more successful by the minute. And that's where our aspirations should be. Thank God we have a state of Israel today in the period of time that we live. And if things get so bad for, for Jews, I mean, there are Jews who move already to Israel, have made Aliyah. But uh, the door is open, it's, it's available for Jews, and a lot of Jews from France are moving there because of the rampant anti-Semitism. Same thing from Europe, can't wear a kippah publicly, but we do have a Jewish state, and you can be proud there, and there's, there's certainly a strong leadership in Israel, and there's also a, a very kind and friendly administration from Washington towards uh, the Jewish state. So, with all that, um, we have to be for ourselves, you know, Israel first, or the Jewish people first, that's our mantra. And in spite of the lack of leadership, we have to have those ideals because that's what our tradition is all about. That's what it says throughout the Torah. Uh, so, things, so what do we do? How do, how do we, how do we change things? Torah, Israel, and the Jewish people. How do we change things? You know what? It's, um, well, first off, the way to try to change things is to take a, take a bold step and try to persuade people from our community by taking these bold steps uh, about what the ideals are and what the truth is. Um, now, because the community is getting a lot weaker by there, and we got these groups now, like, if not now, I mean, where did they come from? No. Uh, independent Jewish Voices, uh, you know, they're very involved in the uh, the boycott of Israeli wines and trying to change the definition uh, let's see. Yeah, trying to change the definition of um, uh, of what anti-Semitism is too. They don't want to accept that. They're trying to lobby the government not to accept the definition from the International Holocaust Remembrance Association. Hmm. Um, you know, these are definitely uh, challenges, but these are things that should be predictable to happen when you have such an amount of uh, intermarriage and assimilation and alienation from the, the Jewish ideals. We need rabbis that are going to keep, that are going to talk the truth still and keep our people to be faithful at least uh, enough. But um, you got to stay strong and speak the truth. Uh, how do you keep speaking the truth, Mayor, when, when, when every time you speak the truth, they condemn you? 
How do you keep doing it? Where do you find the strength to do that? Uh, you know what? Because um, uh, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've, had a, I've had a hard time finding a job. I've had a hard time finding a job because I'm so vocal. Okay. Well, I, I don't... Uh, I've been vocal for a while. And uh, uh, I know what the truth is. And uh, you know, sometimes I feel like I'd like to uh, not speak up like this, but it's like a fire inside me. It's like it's like the pro- I'm not a prophet, but it's like the prophets. They, in spite of everything and all the hardship that they had, they spoke. They were compelled to speak, and I'm compelled to speak, and I speak, and I and and it's the truth, and it's the Emmas, and I know enough rabbis that are credible, holy rabbis that you know when they see me, they uh, they bless me. And uh, I, I just know what the truth is, and I'm not afraid. And I, I respect you for that, Mayor. I, I, I'm the same way. I'm not afraid. Uh, I speak, and I take the hits as they come. I'm, I'm not afraid to take the hits. Uh, yeah. But you know, I wish there were more people like you and I. I, I wish, I wish more people would stand up and speak the truth. I, I really do. Thank you, Mayor Weinstein. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks very much. All right. That's Mayor Weinstein. He's the, he is the chairman of the Jewish Defense League Canada. We're going to take a little break. When I come back, uh, I have another story I want to share with you uh, just, before the end of the, uh, just before the end of the show. So we're going to take a little break. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. If you want to call in, now's a good time. 1-877-669-1292. 1-877-669-1292. Welcome to the Just for Laughs Entertainment Report on the True Talk Radio Network, coming to you live from the funniest city and country in the world, Montreal, Canada. Hello, I'm Sheldon Eric Freed. Well, the last gala for this year's Just for Laughs Festival that I attended was the Anthony Anderson Gala. Once again, like the Jim Jeffries Gala I went to a couple of nights ago, I really did not know what to expect from Anthony Anderson. After seeing him in episodes of Law and Order, in which he appeared to be a tough, sometimes out-of-control detective, I saw the humor and wit out of this very multi-talented actor and now comedian, definitely strong enough to bring his high energy to host the Just for Laughs gala. Anderson is the star and executive producer of ABC's multi-award-nominated sitcom, Blackish. Now here is Anthony Anderson on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, talking about on how he lost $300 in a golf game with the former president of the United States of America, Barack Obama, on the Howie Silberger Show with yours truly, Sheldon Eric Freed, on the True Talk Radio Just for Laughs Entertainment Report. I was on a family vacation in Cabo. Phone rings. Look at it. Oh, Chris Paul's calling me. What's up? Chris. Yo, CP, what's up? He was like, yo, man, where you at? Because of the international ring. I was like, I'm on a family vacation. In Mexico, he was like, ah, oh, never mind. I was like, no, everything cool? He was like, yeah. I said, what's up? Tell me. Yeah. I was going to invite you to play golf with Barack and me tomorrow. I was like, oh, I can be on the plane in a minute. <laughs> and Everybody out of the pool? Yeah. All right, cool. All right, bye. And I was like, uh, oh, man, I can't do it. I'm on a family vacation, man. Thanks for the invite. And I hung up. 
And my wife and my kids were looking at me, and they were like, yo, you, what, what are you talking about? Call him back and tell him you're on your way. <laughs> and I was like, you sure? And I was like, he was like, uh, yeah, okay. Hey, hey, CP, don't get my spot away. I'm on my way home. Called to get an airline ticket. It's 5.35 in the afternoon. The last plane leaving Cabo was at 5.45. No way I'm going to make it. Uh -uh. So I hang up, and I say, guys, there are no more, there are no more flights leaving. And my daughter's like, dad, you, you got to go. It's... It's President Obama. You gotta go. And I was like, ah, the only way to go is if I charter a plane. And she was like, it's a renegotiation year. You'll get it back. <laughs> She's a genius. I was like, oh. Do you want to be my agent? Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I'm going to go for it, man. So, so long story short, it was, it was the most expensive round of golf I've ever had to play in my Here, life. Here's you, Chris Paul, Barack Obama, and Michael Phelps. That was, a, that was our fortune. That was our fortune. How and, cool and, is that? Yeah, it was, it was cool. Uh, President Obama talked trash all day. Did he really? Five and a half hours, nothing but trash talk. Does he really? Yeah, talk yeah. Trash? I was like, man, if these Secret Service dudes wasn't here right now, <laughs> no, uh, he talked trash all day and took all of our money. Wait, so he he won. Into he won. He's he's a great golfer, man. Doesn't hit the ball long off the tee, but he's. He's straight as an arrow, man, with uh, 220, 30 yards every time. Played one ball the entire time. Didn't lose a ball. It went straight as an arrow. Very consistent. Oh, that's not me. Yeah, he took, uh, <laughs> he took $700 from uh, Phelps. He took $600 from Chris Paul. He took $300 from me. The president? Yeah, and I was like, man, is this even right? I was like, you're the president? Can you take money from civilians? <laughs> that was Anthony Anderson on The Tonight Show with host Jimmy Fallon as he discussed that he had lost $300 to former President of the United States of America, Barack Obama. The lineup at the Anthony Anderson Gala included Donnell Rawlings, Chris Spencer, Ada Rodriguez, Pete Lee, Sean Majumder, Christoph Davidson, and the amazing Matteo Lane. Special thanks go out to once again to the Just for Last for allowing me access to the Anthony Anderson Show Gala. In closing, it has once again been an honor and a privilege to cover such an amazing festival, The Just for Laughs. The people have been absolutely amazing. Some I had the opportunity to have known for many years and others meeting for the very first time. They displayed such a passion and devotion and have been absolutely a pleasure to work with. Hopefully, we will have the pleasure to once again cover the various shows and interviews with some of the greatest talents next year. We here in Montreal, Canada have been blessed with many people who have credited Montreal in helping them to launch their careers and many deals have been made with some of the greatest networks in comedy and signed by the busiest well-known agents to movie and comedy show contracts. During my many years here in covering the Just for Last Festival, I have sat down along with my colleague Howie Silberger at the hotel bar with many stars including Howie Mandel, Alonzo Bodden, Drew Carey, Kathy Griffith, Tom Papa, Lily Tomlin, just to name a few. If you missed any one of Howie's celebrity interviews or any one of my entertainment reports, you can go to our website at www.twotalkradio.com, go to the drop-down menu, and look for our Just for Laughs 2019 page, and you will be able to listen to Howie's interviews along with my entertainment reports from this year's Just for Laughs Festival. Until hopefully next year, I am Sheldon Eric Freed. Thank you for being with us 
laughing along with us and listening to our coverage as well as to all of our interviews and reports here on the Howie Silberger Show here on the True Talk Radio Network. Truth is stranger than fiction. And this is the proof. This is Ripley's. Believe it or not. Princess Isabella, wife of the fourth Marquis of Bath, insisted all members of the household wash their money every day. Believe it or not. In a moment, I'll tell you about an astonishing builder of roads. One wonders whether the people of Ceylon pay honor to a certain foreigner. A foreigner named Skinner. Skinner was a road builder and engineer who literally carved Ceylon out of the darkness of jungles and swamps with some 3,000 miles of highways built over a period of 50 years. As awesome as these tasks must have been, the most tremendous feat in his career was an 11-mile stretch of road built when he was just 16 years old. Believe it or not. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Julia Rosen. In the last few decades, astronomers have discovered thousands of exoplanets orbiting other stars. Now, scientists want to know what they look like. Do they have oceans? Atmospheres? Researchers have even searched for signs of plant life and the glow of alien city lights, although they haven't found any yet. We've moved on from being excited about finding exoplanets to now having to get our kicks out of characterizing them. Moya McTeer, a graduate student at Columbia University and the host of the podcast, So You Think You Can Science. Last year, McTeer's advisor challenged her to find something else on exoplanets, evidence of extraterrestrial mountains, because mountains could offer clues about what's going on inside these planets. The way that those form is through the collision of tectonic plates or through lava building up in the same place over millions of years. And so that's one of the most exciting things, in my opinion, that can come out of this project, is actually being able to figure out what's underneath the surface of an exoplanet. The trick was how to do it. Modern telescopes are powerful, but they can't capture pictures of exoplanets. Instead, a common way astronomers detect them is by watching as they pass in front of their star, blotting out some of the light. McTeer riffed on this idea to find a way to look for mountains. And so what we're doing with this mountains project is saying, okay, if a planet has a mountain on it, and if that planet is rotating, then the mountain will show up in the silhouette, and the silhouette will change because the planet's rotating. So we can study that changing silhouette, that changing shadow, to get an idea of what the surface of the planet looks like. McTeer tested the technique by modeling how the rocky planets of our solar system would look through modern telescopes like the James Webb if they were far away. And we were pretty heartbroken when we found out that it wouldn't be possible. But McTeer calculated that it might be doable with something like the Extremely Large Telescope, which is currently under construction in Chile. Even this telescope probably wouldn't be able to measure the topography of a Mars-like body if it orbited a large star like our sun. But if that planet circled a smaller star, like a white dwarf, it would block out enough light to be detectable. The research is in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. So one day soon, we may be able to confirm the existence of exoplanetary mountains. And with even better telescopes, maybe molehills. Or even moles. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American 60 Second Science, I'm Julia Rosen. This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. 
Call 1877-669-1292. All right, so we got just a couple of seconds left to the show. I just wanted to let you know that a federal judge in Kentucky has ruled in favor of the Washington Post and against Covington Catholic High School student Nicholas Sandman over the paper's mishandling of the January confrontation by the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, which Native American activist Nathan Phillips and leftists made a viral video claiming Sandman was somehow mocking Phillips by standing still and smirking. Federal Judge William O. Bertelsman showed some sympathy for what happened to Sandman. The court accepts Sandman's statement that when he was standing motionless in the confrontation with Phillips, his intent was to calm the situation, not to impede or block anyone. However, Phillips did not see it that way. He concluded that he was being blocked and not allowed to retreat. He passed these conclusions onto the Post. It may have been erroneous, but as discussed above, they are the opinion uh, protected by the First Amendment, and the Post is not liable for publishing these opinions. So there you go. So the, uh, the Washington Post got off. They fully exonerated the Washington Post. Not quite surprising, but the Washington Post was fully exonerated for ruining the life of a young high school student. They should be proud. They should be proud. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We're heard live every Sunday night from 6 to 9 p.m. Yeah, I know it is Monday night, and uh, we're, we're, we're here right now. Uh, we will be back again next Sunday. Until then, I bid you a good night, and thank you for listening. Have a great day. Have a great night. Have a great week.